0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all well. I hope you all can hear me well. I'm sure if anything goes wrong, my wife, who is sitting on the sofa downstairs watching on YouTube with our dog, Mabel, will quickly text. I often, when we were leading our own services, forgot to turn my mic on. So I've double, triple checked this morning and hopefully all is well. I'm sure you can all give me thumbs up. Anyway, a good morning to you all. Uh, By the grace of God... I think that, well, I'm I'm certainly thankful this morning that by the grace of God, we're able to meet in this way that God has given us the technological resources to be able to do this. Uh, Not least because in God's power, we are family, uh, whether we like it or not. This is something that God has done. He has bound us together as family. But also, I would add, I think by the spirit of God, we're more than family. Our two congregations are friends And the Lord brings and and places a large emphasis on on the importance of friendship across his word. For example, in Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. And as we share this adversity, that is 2020 and 2021, uh, we are more than family. The Lord has made us friends. And that is something I think to rejoice in. And that is precisely why it is good to meet this morning. And it is indeed an honor and a privilege to share and to speak to both congregations at once. Of course, this also brings some unique challenges for me as a preacher. Speaking into just one congregation uh, with the word is a challenge, uh, speaking into two at once is a different kind of challenge. Uh, preaching, I say this a lot, certainly at Matthew Henry Church, but allow me just to preface this. Preaching is an enormous privilege and an enormous responsibility. By the grace and power of God's spirit, the pulpit, be it a literal one or a figurative digital one like this, is is where prophecy and teaching meet such that God promises to speak. He promises to speak miraculously through mortal men when they open his word, that is amazing. It is something you will find nowhere else in the word, in the world, I should say. It is something that you will find, uh, it is something, a special grace, a special office that God has pr- provided for his church. And brothers and sisters, I do believe that this morning God would speak to us uh, through this sermon, through the, in this time, in this uh, opportunity to open his scripture together and he would speak to us as individuals as congregations and indeed as a microcosm of god's church in chester now i was asked to preach a little over two um, how a week before christmas a little over a week before christmas itself and almost immediately god placed a particular thing on my heart almost immediately a particular scripture Came to mind, and a particular thing in Scripture came to mind, and this has subsequently been confirmed by others who i have talked about it with, um, and and others who who have just mentioned it in passing in other God incidents moments. Can we all please turn to Proverbs eight verses one to eleven? Proverbs eight verses one to eleven. And I will read this out for us. There are some scriptures that I've got prepared, which in time I will share. I'll share my screen so that you'll be able to see them. But this one isn't on the screen, so you'll have to do this the old-fashioned way. This is Proverbs 8. I'll give you a moment to get there. Okay, this is Proverbs 8 verses 1 to 11. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroad, she takes her stand, Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out, to you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction. This is wisdom herself personified speaking. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. The one thing that we need brothers and sisters as we enter a new year as we come to terms with what happened in 2020 and as we wrestle with and as we prepare for and as we anticipate uh, the next 12 months and beyond the one thing that we need is wisdom God's wisdom so that he in wisdom might guide our feet this of course is what the word calls us to do, to pursue wisdom over and over again. So let's see if this, I can share my screen here. Uh, There we go. Right. So you should be able to see the screen if you can't wave your hands frantically. But anyway, so this is Uh, From Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 5, a selection there. My child, if you accept my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you indeed cry out for insight, if you seek it as silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Again, brothers and sisters, God promises to give us wisdom if we pursue it if we ask it of him in James for example chapter 1 verse 5 he says that he will give it generously and ungrudgingly what an awesome combination that God would be generous ungrudging with his free gift of wisdom to us when we need it when we ask it for him he will give it in Job uh, I think it's Zophar who says this but it says, oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the many secrets of wisdom for wisdom is many sided. That's a great Hebraism, by the way, in the KGV, it, it, instead of many sided, it says uh, double to that which is wisdom is double to that which is. In other words, it's infinite. It's inexhaustible. It's always sufficient for our needs. And it's capable of meeting us right where we are. As we've already heard, the Lord is with us and he can be with us in wisdom, preparing us, instructing us, guiding our steps. So, oh, that God would speak and reveal to us his wisdom and brothers and sisters in his power, by his grace, through his spirit, to the glory of God, the father, through Jesus Christ. He is going to speak to us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask that you would please be merciful to me and my preparations, that, Lord, the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be pleasing in your sight. That, Lord, you would please hear this cry and send your Holy Spirit such that, as I said before, that that miraculous thing that you promised to do would happen, that you would speak through me, sat here in, in a study in in the middle of Chester over Zoom, instead it would become the moment of God speaking. Lord, I pray that by your grace and power, this would be so. And Lord, your word promises that if we ask for it, you give it to us ungrudgingly and generously. So Lord, this morning we pray by the Holy Spirit, please gift us with wisdom to know what to think, how to think, where to go. We pray this Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen, Okay, so how shall we begin? Wisdom is one of those massive biblical themes, one of those subjects that uh, you always promise to study for yourself one day when the weather's a bit grim, a rainy day, et cetera, et cetera, when you've got the time. Um, it, it is massive, but I want to just give us before we before I really focus on one particular thing, I want to give us a sort of a back of the envelope, crib notes version of how God describes wisdom in the Bible. The big picture, if you will. One thing that you begin to see when you study the scriptures is that God is opposed to mortal, worldly wisdom. And many of us now will be thinking of 1 Corinthians. We'll get to that. But all throughout the scriptures, we see this refrain that God is opposed to mortal, sinful, worldly wisdom i wanted you to think about this question uh, i've done this before at matthew henry shows so you guys can't cheat but what is it about the apple that eve was tempted by what is it about the apple that eve was tempted by well i can tell you let's uh let's go to here uh, not there. where is it gone Or well, maybe i don't have it on Oh well, you're just gonna have to go do this yourselves. Go to (laughs) go to. There's always technical gremlins with these sorts of things. Go to Genesis chapter three, verse six, or just listen to me quote this. This is from Genesis three, verse six. It says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. And so she took of its fruit and ate. So Eve saw that. It was good for food. That is, it served a practical, pragmatic purpose, and how often godliness is subordinated to pragmatism. Also, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. It's pleasure, it's sheer pleasure and lust. But then, finally, important for our purposes, she saw that the apple could make her wise, like God. Eve wanted some of what God was having, and so she decided to take it. For herself. I want you to remember that sin is fundamentally a rebellion, not a sickness. Sin is fundamentally rebellion, not sickness. Rebellion against that is against God. Man seeks then to be wise on his own terms, without God, as it indeed says in Isaiah. Look at this here. I've got this on the screen. Ah, you who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, are you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight? Are you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight? And God is opposed to this sort of haughty, arrogant, rebellious, sinful, mortal, worldly wisdom, and he is opposed to it for exactly this purpose, that it is rebellious. But more than that, God is opposed to worldly wisdom because it doesn't work. It's broken. It does not serve its purpose. It is selling you false gold. Look in, uh, look, look at this in from Jeremiah 10. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For that is your due. Among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. What does Paul say in Romans 16? To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. I could sing it, but I'll save you. I'll spare you. Literally. Only God is wise. Only he is wise why not because he is wise times a billion but because wisdom belongs to him he is wisdom him his very self is wisdom it subsists in him that's the theological klingon for it so only by looking outwards can we truly see if we seek to look inwards if we curve in on ourselves we will get nothing By looking outwards, this is the great paradox of the Christian faith. By looking outwards, outside ourselves, we can know ourselves. By looking outside of that which the flesh suggests is wise, we become wise because only the Lord is prudent and prudence is found in him. And this is why God calls us to pursue his wisdom, uh, where it can be found and find it in abundance, pursue it, strive for it like silver or gold. A very famous passage from the Proverbs. I remember having this up on my wall as a teenager. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. Do not be wise in your own eye. That's the same phrase used in Isaiah, by the way. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. I want to be clear, when we're told to pursue wisdom, it's easy for us to hear that as an intellectual thing, right? It's easy for us to hear that as an academic thing. That's not primarily what the scriptures have in mind. In Proverbs 15, 24, I don't think I have that one on the screen, just have to hear it. Proverbs 15, 24, he says, for the wise, the path of life leads upwards in order uh, to avoid shale blow. I'll say that again. For the wise, the path of life leads upwards in order to avoid shale, that is the grave, below. So wisdom, in, in how God describes it in the word, leads to life. Wisdom is the path to life and folly is the path to death. God commands us to pursue wisdom so that we might live, so that we might flourish, and not just ourselves but those around us, our neighbours, our cities, our towns, our countries, hence why it's good indeed to intercede uh, as we've just done. Now of course all of this foreshadows what is to come, and this is where you might have been thinking 1 Corinthians, this is exactly where that comes into play look at this from one corinthians chapter one we've just gone through a series of one corinthians in matthew henry church a brilliant book that speaks to many of the needs and situations of the contemporary church as much as the first century church this is what paul says for jews demand signs and greeks desire wisdom but we proclaim christ crucified a stumbling block to jews and foolishness to gentiles But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Behold, mortal, worldly, sinful, rebellious wisdom has been confounded. And now the perfect wisdom of God has been revealed, dying a criminal's death on the cross for us And for our salvation. And now in him, in the words of the proverb, the path of life leads upwards to follow Christ. The very wisdom of God himself brings life. He is the path of wisdom. He is the very wisdom of God. And he embraced Sheol below on our behalf so that we don't have to die the death of a fool. We don't have to walk the path of folly. Instead, now the path of life leads upwards in the words of job 28 there's a great moment and i don't have it in my notes but there's a great moment in job 28 where it talks about how who has who has understood wisdom death has heard a rumor of it but it does not understand it what a great awesome signal of the power of god the confounding of satan's sin death and hell by the revelation of the wisdom of god in christ even more than this i want you to look at ephesians 1 Verses 17 17 to 19. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. what What are of his glorious inheritance? I don't know if that's, yeah, I've got messed up the typo there. What is of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for those who believe according to the working of his great power? As individual believers, it would now maybe you feel the same way. Or maybe you felt the same way very keenly over the last say, couple of weeks, months. As individual believers, wouldn't it be infinitely easier were God to have simply made the Bible 20 billion pages long? with chapters and books dedicated to every single person, yourself included, so that you might know exactly what you ought to do at every single moment in time. Wouldn't that have been so much easier? But God, in his perfect wisdom, did not decide to do this. He could have, but he did not. Instead, his purpose is to form us in the image and character of Christ. Who is himself the very wisdom of god he has given us in christ like the jam jar he has given us in christ a spirit of wisdom and revelation such that we now do not have to necessarily know exactly what to do in each and every single moment instead we've been formed in his image so that we have the character of Christ, so that the peace of Christ might rule in our hearts, such that we might make wise decisions that are formed by pursuing after him. That is literally in Colossians 3, how Paul describes it, the peace of Christ ruling like a rudder, like you're on a boat. You know, it would rule us in such a way that we don't need commands. We have character. We don't need decrees. We've got the deity. We don't need anything else, because we have all that we need for life and godliness. So, okay, let's just take a step back, right? That is a back of an envelope, big picture sketch of how wisdom is described in the Bible, why God would have us pursue it, Um, but brothers and sisters I I believe that we need to be a little bit more specific than that though I find that stuff really really brilliant and fun I love the big picture stuff I want to drill down a little bit more again I believe that God would speak with his many-sided wisdom into our situation uh, as individual believers as two congregations uh, united in friendship and also as a microcosm of the church in Chester so with that in mind Please turn with me to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Matthew Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. And this isn't on the screen, so you'll have to turn to that again, the old-fashioned way. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. I'll give you a moment to get there. Okay, so this is Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Jesus says... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will be not, not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers, buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, ordinarily, if I were preaching at this point, I'd say, "Hey, how are we doing, guys? I can't really do that. I'm seeing some lovely faces on the side. I'm just having to trust in in the Lord that this is uh, that this is this is making sense, and that God himself is is ministering. I just want to make a few quick observations. Right. We've just read the parable of the ten bridesmaids or the wise and foolish virgins, depending on your uh, superscription in your translation. So a couple of quick quick observations. First, there is a direct line of continuity between what Jesus is teaching here and what Solomon, for example, says in Proverbs and what how wisdom is described elsewhere uh, alongside Proverbs. That is to say, Jesus is exhorting us here in the form of a parable to shun folly and to pursue wisdom. Again, that's exactly how Solomon frames it. It's exactly how uh, Job frames it in Job 28. It's exactly how Ecclesiastes frames it. It's exactly how it's framed in the Psalms and Isaiah. Again, Jesus is exhorting us to shun folly and to pursue wisdom. One kind of life is wise and the other kind of life is foolish. The former, the wise life, leads to uh, life and the latter leads to death. The foolish life leads to death. And so, again, this is a seamless garment. You know, there is continuity here between what we've been hearing in the Old Testament and how Christ here in the Gospel of Matthew uh, speaks. That's the first observation. Second observation, because he's teaching in a parable here, we must have eyes to see and ears to hear. That is, we need to understand what's going on. So bear with me a little bit. Some of this will be sucking eggs for some of you. You know, I know this already, Nathan. But I think it's important that we make a few things explicit. Who is the bridegroom? Who is the bridegroom? Now, I imagine most of us will know the bridegroom is Christ Himself. Is used to refer to Christ Himself. That is how Christ Himself describes Himself. (laughs) But it's also an image that he uses. uh, That sorry, an image that is used elsewhere. For example, in Revelation, especially to describe. Christ. It's also an image used in the prophets. The Messiah is the bridegroom coming for his bride, his people. So the bridegroom here is used to refer to Jesus. But then here's an interesting question. Who are the virgins uh, or the uh, the bridesmaids or the handmaidens? The the Greek is Parthenos. It it basically refers to virgins, bridesmaids, those who attend to a bride on the day of a wedding. Beg your pardon. Who are these people? After all, the church is normally referred to, is she not, as the bride of Christ, not the virgins, the bridesmaids, but as the bride. Indeed, the bride of Christ is usually used to refer to the universal church. um, But that is precisely the point. It's used to refer to all of those united to the body of Christ, transcending borders and time and life and death when Jesus uses that term virgin or bridesmaid or handmaiden he means to draw our attention to the specific to the particular look at how Paul talks to the individual believers and congregation at Corinth look at the screen there I feel a divine jealousy for you for I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, there's a sort of a blending of the two things there. But the important thing is that label of virgin is very often used to describe individual believers, individual congregations. Uh, it's also used to refer to individuals, specific individuals and peoples within Israel in the Psalms, for example. So so that image of virgin, hat, bridesmaid, handmaid, it, it, he means to draw our attention to the specific and to the particular so when jesus talks about wise and foolish virgins he's talking about those who attend to the bride the specific and individual believers and congregations that make up the church universal those who attend to the universal bride the individuals the congregations hopefully this is making sense right, so far. I think it's important that we just establish some of these things, because at this point you might say, well, wonderful, Nathan, how interesting, but why should we care for such minutiae? Why is that important? Well, obviously you should care because it's in the word, but also for our purposes this morning, just about, almost to be midday, but for our purpose, this is especially important because Christ is distinguishing between wise and foolish congregations wise and foolish believers. And as we enter 2021, as we reflect on the state of uh, the church, for example, in this new year, as we think about how to live and move and have our being in a post-COVID world, God please, we should all be very interested to learn what it means to be foolish and better yet, what it means to be wise. And that was my computer telling me the time never mind i should have put it on mute i always make i always forget to do that at some point so the engine of this beg your pardon the engine of this parable its center of gravity if you will where the rubber hits the road to um to use a frighteningly large number of metaphors is verses three to five verses three to five is where we see the engine the heart the center the, the the meat of this parable look again at this uh, the these verses look at this verses three to five it's on your screen as well when the foolish took their lamps they took no oil with them but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed all of them became drowsy and slept now it's tempting at first isn't it when we read this parable to view it as a game of two halves. Uh, you know The foolish do something foolish, the wise do something wise, don't be like the former, be like the latter. And that is true, at least in one respect. It is true, the foolish do indeed act foolishly here and the wise do indeed act wisely here, but did you spot something? Did you spot something? Did you notice perhaps a nuance that Jesus adds to this parable, something easy to miss, at least at first blush. Yes, the foolish virgins should have acted wisely, but the wise virgins should have been even wiser. Look at verse five. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. As the bridegroom was delayed, All of them became drowsy and slept. This is why Jesus ends the parable in verse 13 with keep awake, therefore. you know he is telling us himself that, yes, again, the foolish could have been wise, but the wise, they could have been wiser. Brothers and sisters, the danger with drowsiness is that it eventually leads to sleep. And if you happen to be responsible for something when you're drowsy, Or, and then when you fall asleep, you know, if you happen to be responsible for something like a lawnmower or a hedge trimmer or a truck or a bus or a soul or a church. That's when things get really bad. When you drowsy, when you get drowsy and you fall asleep. Look at Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, oh lazy bones? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I mean, that's so evocative, verse 10. You know, I, I know this being a student once myself, you know, the pull of, of a lion. I like them now, but in good measure, (laughs) I don't get them throughout the rest of the week, but you know, lying in every day. And you just say to yourself as the alarm goes off, oh, you know, just 10 minutes more, turns into half an hour. Oh, just 10 minutes more and it turns into an hour. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. Seeing as I come to you from Matthew Henry Church, I think it's only fair that I quote from the man himself. Matthew Henry says, first, speaking about this parable, first they slumbered and then they slept. Note, one degree of carelessness and remissness makes way for another. Those that allow themselves in slumbering will scarcely keep themselves from sleeping. Bear with me in a little foolishness here, as Paul says, bear with me. I've lived here in Chester for what feels like a lifetime now. And for some of you, it feel like various lifetimes, several lifetimes. And I want to be absolutely clear. I am abundantly grateful, and Joe is too, for bringing, I'm grateful to God for bringing Joe and I here. I'm thankful for the amazing heritage that is this city, that this city has, especially the role of the church in this city. So so what I'm about to say, I say with affection If I were to ask you to describe the church in Chester, I'm I'm speaking generally now, you understand, I don't want to impugn anyone, but speaking generally, if I were to ask you to describe the church in Chester, what would you say? I would have many good things to say. I would speak about the amazing work to the homeless. I would speak about the years of faithful service that people have put in. I would speak about uh, street ministry and and years of faithful gospel uh, proclamation But I would also, if I'm honest, say that the church in Chester is a little drowsy. We are drowsy when it comes to the word. I cannot imagine what a reformation would look like in this city. I cannot imagine it happening. I pray to God for the faith of it, but I cannot imagine what it would look like for the church to become interested in the uh, the word. As we read in the scriptures, as we know from church history, people were, you know, spending time allowing themselves to spend so much time invested in this word and sitting under the word in, in from the pulpit uh, for as long as it takes we are drowsy when it comes to prayer keith last week you spoke on this at uh, freedom church and uh, and that ministered to me i've said it before at matthew henry church my own functional atheism when it comes to prayer my own prayerlessness that I have a lot to do one day. I've been very busy this week with deadlines and I've got lots of deadlines next week with work. And I always say to myself, you know, I've got so much to do today. I just need to get on. I don't have time for those devotions. I don't have time to pray. Martin Luther, the reformer, said I've got so much to do today. I don't have time not to pray. I am drowsy when it comes to prayer. Maybe you are too. Perhaps also you're drowsy when it comes to sin. Perhaps there are besetting sins that you've had and you've not mortified them. You've not killed them. And and as in general, are we not drowsy when it comes to sins that even 15 years ago we would have recognized as ungodly, unbiblical? And now things are oh so complicated. Did God really say? We're drowsy when it comes to our minds. We allow the zeitgeist of the age, the political flag of the moment to supersede The way in which the scriptures themselves would have us think, take every thought captive for Christ. And are we not? I know I am when it comes to this area sometimes, sitting in my nice home, in my comfort. Am I not also drowsy when it comes to hell? Am I not drowsy when it comes to the fact that people die every day? Have I shared the gospel with anyone in the last week, two weeks, three weeks? We can't afford to be drowsy about 2021 if this resonates with you brother and sister listen we can't afford to be drowsy about what is to come we must know the times and the seasons i'm not much of a sports fan maybe you can tell i'm certainly not much of an ice hockey fan but one of the best players in the world is called Wayne Gretzky. He's won so many awards, so many records were set by him. And when asked why he's just so good, how he won so many awards, how he, how he was so good at his sport, he answered, I don't go to the puck. I go to where the puck is gonna be. Brothers and sisters, we must not be drowsy. We must be alert to where the puck is going, to where the Lord himself is taking us and not just see, like horses with blinders on, the path right in front of us. Here's what we've got to ask ourselves then. If drowsiness and sleepiness are the disease, what does Jesus in this parable present as the cure? What do the wise do that the foolish do not? What is God's wisdom for us as his drowsy, tired, exhausted, weary, hurting people? Look at verses three to four. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil. When the foolish took their lamps, verses three to four, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil. As we face an uncertain future, as we wrestle with what it means to be wise moving forward in a post-COVID world, we must let the bridegroom speak into this, for this is the wisdom of God that we stay awake and that we stay prepared, that we fill our oil and we trim our wicks. Paul himself combines these two things in Ephesians 5. Look at this in Ephesians 5 verses 14 to 17 everything that becomes visible is light therefore it says sleeper awake rise from the dead and christ will shine on you be careful then how you live not as unwise people but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil so do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is go where the puck is going What does this look like? Now, there are standing orders throughout all of church history that God has given us that apply generally and always in and out of season. Indeed, one of them is that we preach the word in and out of season. That we pray without ceasing, that we present to God an acceptable worship when we gather, reliant on and using his word. That we flee from sexual immorality, that we take every thought captive for. Christ that we rejoice in the Lord always and turn our gaze away from ugliness instead thinking about that which is true and honourable just pure pleasing commendable virtuous worthy of praise that we go and make the we go and make disciples of all the nations and above all that we love our neighbor as ourselves and that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. For on these hang all the law and the prophets. Brothers and sisters, these are our standing orders. They apply at all times. This is just generally like one-on-one on what it means to fill our oil and trim our wicks. These things need to move from things we hear about and nod our heads to, to become weekly, daily, hourly realities in the power of the spirit by his grace he is ready and he is willing to give generously and ungrudgingly to those who ask of him and he will help us do this for reality he is jealous over our realities our day-to-day lives for reality listen it's not work shaped wherever you work it's not shaped by that workplace reality is not shaped by your work it's not new shaped it's not Labour-shaped or Tory-shaped. It's not Brexit-shaped or Trump-shaped or, I don't know, whatever else you might want to say, climate-shaped or whatever else. It is not Facebook-shaped or media-shaped. Reality is Christ-shaped. And we only have one choice in our day-to-day lives, Christ or chaos. Those are only two choices. For, In the words of Abraham Kuyper, who's the Dutch prime minister, There is not one atom over all creation over which Christ does not cry, mine, mine. And as I've prepared this sermon and as I've prayed about it for several weeks now, in addition to reminding me of this call to be wise, in addition to reminding me of this parable, the Lord kept reminding me of that phrase. It just kept coming back again and again. Trim your wick and fill your oil. Trim your wick and fill your oil. Trim your wick and fill your oil. As we've just heard from Kuiper, you know, all is not one Adam in all creation which Christ is not crime mine. To be prepared for the coming of Christ means proclaiming that Christ's claim is over everything. And so I, I do have the sense, if you will, in the spirit. I do believe it is of the moment that this is a kairos moment for us, to use that phrase. Uh, that is indeed the term, by the way, that Paul uses in Ephesians 5. When it says, redeem the time, redeem the kairos. This is a kairos moment. This is, I, I do believe that the Lord would speak into this. You know, there are some of you to whom the Lord has been speaking about uh, taking up, uh, say, for example, art to glorify God, to worship God, or getting into audiovisual work in order to make films or whatever else to the glory of God. Trim your wick and fill your oil. Get prepared. There are some of you to whom the Lord has been speaking about uh, forming a union of, of uh, between these churches, even our own churches. Trim your wick and fill your oil. There are some of you to whom the Lord has been speaking about the church living together, because after all this, there will be dispossessed peoples, dispossessed, uh, perhaps people who live on their own, people who can't manage economically. And the Lord has been speaking to you about that. I say to you, trim your wick and fill your oil. There are some of you to whom the Lord has been speaking about, say, founding nurseries and creches. Trim your wick and fill your oil. There are some of you to whom the Lord has been speaking about founding a school, a Christian school. Goodness knows we'll need it. Or a Christian university, goodness knows we'll need it. Trim your wick, fill your oil. There are some of you who are suffering and the Lord has been speaking to you about healing. Trim your wick, fill your oil. There are some of you who, to whom the Lord has been speaking about mission, street preaching, getting out there on the streets, prayer walking. Trim your wick, trim your wick, fill Your oil. If we want to transform this city, it has to start with making preparations for the building of the city of God right here, right now. It is time, brothers and sisters, for the bride to make herself ready. We, as her bridesmaids, must trim our wicks and fill our oil so that in God's good time, when all the lights of this city are extinguished. There will be a light, a lamp, shining in the darkness, with all its power and might, a city stepping forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. So I say to you, and I believe it's of the spirit, so I'll weigh it. Trim your wicks, fill your oil, do this now, start to do this now, so that when the time comes, you will be ready. And brothers and sisters, stay Awake. And so with Paul, I end this in from Colossians 1, verses 9 to 12. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy. May you lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit. In every good work, as you trim your wick and fill your oil, as you grow in the knowledge of God. And may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared. May we be prepared in January, February, March and beyond to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the father who has enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints, in the light. Amen.